0: Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Ooh, thank you. Test, test, testing. Can you guys hear me clear? Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. That was an amazing. Great worship. As I've always said, that's what we live for. Uh, I would have probably said, let's go for some more and let's skip the message, right, altogether, but... <laughs> Well, but anyway, we gotta, we got to preach the message also. Anyway, good morning to Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. If you are visiting with us for the very first time, welcome. in behalf of Pastor Mark and Terry, we welcome you to the church. Uh, hopefully that praise and worship already got you excited on what God can do and God is always doing on a Sunday service. My name is Armand. I'm one of the church leader in this church. And yes, like what Sierra said, we just don't say that because they're part of leadership, but really there is a, there's an enjoyment when you're in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. So last week we concluded with a... Okay, I'm sorry. They're still passing the, the basket. Uh, anyway, last week we concluded with our series, You Want More. So today we're having a series break. So I want to take you to the book of Ephesians. It's, uh, it's a short book, six chapters. I encourage you to read it, but it was written by Paul... Because there was something going on in the church. And if you, if you would just simply read the heading or the, the um, how do you say this? The introduction to the book, it says that the efficient church was so rich in what they have in Christ. But yet, because they did not realize it and they're not seeing it, they were living like they were beggars. Isn't that a sad situation? For you to, be, for you to have so much privilege It's just like I I remember a story. I don't know how true this story is. I've heard minister uh, share the story of how uh, how, uh, a couple went into a uh, cruise ship to to travel. But since they were in the bottom or, or whatever room they had, they thought that that's the only space or the place that they can go to. They never realized that the entire ship was open to them. So this entire time of the trip, they were just in their room. They did not know that the entire ship was open for them. And sometimes that's what, it, uh, I, I believe that's what uh, Paul was writing about to the Ephesians. They had so much, they have so much riches in Christ, but yet because they did not know it, they were living be- like a beggar. They were living poorly. Amen? So let's just go ahead. Let's just pray one more time. Okay, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that in this word of yours, we can find encouragement. We can find strengthening. We can find a way to train us in righteousness. But most importantly, we can find you and we can find Jesus. And that's all and that's enough for us, Father. So, Lord, have your way today. Speak to your people. Open their eyes, Father. Open the eyes of their heart that they may see you and hear you and live the life that you have called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So... So I've entitled this message "Open the Eyes of Our Hearts." Interesting, right? Uh, open the eyes of your heart. Your eyes is usually up here, but uh, there's uh, but the symbol. The symbolism behind it is the eyes is always your gateway. It, it is always the way for you to see. Uh, of course, the eyes is where you see. So the faculty of your physical body, there's always a place to see. So let's go ahead and uh, put up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, as I was telling you, this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesians, so jumping in verse 15, this is what he said. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. What a prayer, right? So he's praying for a church, meaning he's praying for believers. And what is he praying for? That we will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So just like what I said, there's something that the, the church in Ephesus was missing that, that even the bare prayer, prayer of fall tells you that I want the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him for you to know. Amen? So then go ahead and uh, do the next verse. So it continues with verse 18, and this is where he begins. It says that, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. In other translation, that word understanding is the word heart. So it's really, the eyes of your heart be open. So Paul's prayer for the efficient church is, I hope that your eyes or the eyes of your heart be open. Interesting, right? So they interchangeably uh, translated as the eyes of your understanding or the eyes of your heart. Because in the, uh, strangely, it sounds, as strange it may sound, a person who's been renewed by God has a change of heart. And there are things about the kingdom of God, there are things about, about the Bible that is easier understood by the heart than the mind. It's just the way it is. The way when God allows you to experience his loving kindness sometimes cannot be understood by the mind. For example, we just finished doing our one more series. In the natural mind, it doesn't make sense for you to be, give, to be, to be generous in your giving if you want to have more. Isn't it? If you want to have more, the natural thing to do is what? Is to hoard. Isn't it? The natural thing to do if you want to have more is not to be generous, to be stingy. But yet, in the way, in God's economy, he says that be generous. It's like he who represses others will himself be refreshed. There's even a Proverbs, uh, can't totally remember paraphrasing it, the one who holds back ends up with nothing, but the one who always gives ended up with more, paraphrasing it. Not exactly that way. So that example in itself, there are certain things in the way that the kingdom of God is and the way that God puts things into order that it is easier to be understood in the heart than it is to the mind. You probably heard this saying that sometimes people lose salvation because it is about 12 inches apart. Your mind and your heart are about 12 inches apart. People cannot understand, therefore they don't want. When what God is calling is to understand with your heart, believe in your heart. Amen. So that's what Paul is, this is where Paul was coming from. He was praying for a church that is missing something and they're not seeing something. And whenever what you do not see, sometimes you missed out. (coughs) It can be, you can be standing in a grand ballroom, but if you're blind what's there to see. An example would be another one would be King King Sedekiah. King Sedekiah was the last king of Israel. Before he was taken to Babylon he was blinded or he was, his eyes were plucked out. Then he was taken to Babylon. During his reign Babylon was the kingdom. It was the uh, how do you say it? It was the reigning kingdom of their time. Uh, ever heard of the Hanging Garden of Babylon? one of the ancient wonder uh, one of the the wonders of the ancient world was well, so when king uh, did i say sedekiah when king sedekiah was brought to babylon it doesn't matter that he walked the halls of the phalluses. it doesn't matter that they were walking him in the hanging gardens of babylon to him because he could not see it could have been the desert all along and sometimes that's what happens when we cannot see we're missing out when we cannot see certain things in our life especially in the things of god It could be as if we're just in the desert, but though, we can be in a palace. Amen? So what is it? What is it that Paul wanted us to see in order for us to know? So today I'm going to show you three things that Paul talked about that he prayed for the church in Ephesus to be able to see so that they may know. Amen? And I hope this will bless you. I hope this will encourage you. I hope it will just allow you to grow in your faith. Amen? So let's begin with the first one. So what is the first one that he wanted the church to see? So this is the first one. So Paul said, I pray that the spirit of wisdom and and the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him will come to you. So that your eyes or the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened or being, being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. What is the hope of his calling? The, I, I believe the best way to illustrate this is to, is to go back to the story of Abraham. If you are here today, if you have made a decision for Christ, if you're part of the church, you owe that to Abraham. Do you realize that? The fact that you're here today, you're attending church, you're worshiping God, you re- owe all of this because of the man they called Abraham. Abraham was the man who first received the call from God. Amen? If that didn't happen, this is, this is our condition. Let me read, coming from, uh, uh, let me read out of uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So talking to the church, it says, Therefore, remember that you, once Gentile in the flesh, if Abraham didn't come, that would still be our title when it comes to God. We're still Gentiles. Okay, and, and because we are Gentiles, that at that time you were without Christ, we are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That would have been our condition. We have no hope, we have no God, if we're all Gentiles. But because of Abraham, we came to Christ And it says, because we came to Christ, we became heirs of Abraham. We became part of Abraham's uh, son. They call it, in Galatians, it talks about, because you are of faith, you are the sons of Abraham. So what was the call? What is the hope of his calling? What was Abraham's call to begin with? Okay, now we can show Genesis chapter 12. Let's let's, uh, look at this. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, this is where we see the call of Abraham. Abraham was just living life, and then one day his iPhone rang, and it was God, or was it his Samsung? Okay, his Motorola, whatever it is that he was carrying that time, okay? It rang, and it was from God. And God said, Get out of your country, get out of your family, and go to a land that I will show you. That was the call of Abraham. His iPhone rang. It wasn't a message, I think it was really a phone call. So that was the calling. Get out of your country. Get out of your land, leave your country, leave everything that you have ever known. Leave it behind and go to a place that I I will give to you. And in that place, God is saying, I will make you a nation there. If you've ever heard that call, what would you do? You need to know, I mean, you need to know, you got to have a hope in order to move. What was Abraham's hope on this calling? A man who had no son, only, uh, of course, he, he took his wife with him, and his nephew Lot came along with him. What was the hope that Abraham was expecting? Now, uh, perhaps uh, I should explain what hope is. Hope is the, biblical hope is different from the way we think of hope. We, the way the world thinks of hope is, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. It is just basically wishful thinking. But the way biblical hope works is that it is a, it is a what you call, Uh, An expectation, a confident expectation that good will come. And that's why faith and hope always works together. They're like twins. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is is that confident expectation that good will come because hope is based on the Word of God. Amen? And that's why Abraham had the hope because the Word of God to him was, I will make you into a great nation. Of course, to complete it, it says, I will make you into a great nation I will bless you. I will make your name great. Until now, we're still calling out his name. We're still calling Abraham. If your name is Abraham, good name. Father of many. Father of great nation. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Like what I said, if you're here today you owe that to this man because this man followed the call of God in his life what did he do he forsake everything he forsook everything okay wrong verb or wrong tense he forsook everything everything that he has known when he was in uh, in the uh, in Mesopotamia he just left it behind His family, his father he left behind, his brothers he left behind, the culture that he had, the pagan god that he had, he left that all behind, and he went where God says go. And what did he do, and what did he become? He became really a tent dweller. He did not have his own land until what? Really until 1948. That's how long he waited for the promise of God. Nations had come over Israel, nations has gone over Israel but now we, we're, we're living in the time that Israel or this promise to, to Abraham is being fulfilled. 4,000 years. But yet God is faithful. God is true. He just didn't say, when it's going to happen. But he said, it's going to happen, right? Okay, I'm smiling too much. I hope, I hope the call of God in your life doesn't take that long. But that, that's what it is. There's a hope of the calling of God. Now you might ask, but, but Arma, what is, the, what is the calling in my life? Generally, all of us has almost the same calling as Abraham. Now, God will, I don't believe that God would appear, appear to you in the night and an angel will open the door and say, Oh, Anthony, come. Or Elmore, come. I don't think that it would be that dramatic or however dramatic it was for Abraham. But I believe that all of us, if you're a believer, the call, in, the call of God in our life is similar to Abraham's call. And that is... To live in faith in Jesus Christ. To live in faith. That means to live according to what he says. It means to separate yourself from the world, but to live according to faith. That's what it is. That's, generally, that is the, the call of God in our lives. Now, some of us, as we continue this journey of, of faith, God begins to open much more. It begins to, we begin to see uh, details and we begin to see, how do you say it? More, pre- more precisely what God wants you to do, what God is calling you to do or what, what God is saying do. But if you're in that place right now and you're asking the question, what is the calling in my life? The call of God in your life is to live in faith in Jesus Christ. Is to get to know him. When you get to know him, enjoy him. And when you get to enjoy him, that's where you begin to hear what it is that God wants to do for you. Amen. So if that's you and you're asking, since we're in this topic, what is the, and you're asking in your heart, Lord, what is the call? What do you have for me to do? If you're a parent, your priority right now, the calling that you have is be a parent, be a father, be a husband, be a mother, be a wife, be a student, be a good student. If you're Still in your, in your parents' house, be a good person, or be a good child, be a good teenager. In reality, there should be no teenager. Uh, speaking of teenagers, since I, I touched that. The Jewish culture, you probably heard it, they call it the Bar Mitzvah. Bar means son, Mitzvah means the law. So the age of 13, they celebrate Bar Mitzvah, and what it means is when they celebrate that, they're really saying you are now a son of the law meaning you are now accountable for the actions that you do against the law. That's bar mitzvah, and that's what it means. So really, in reality, in the Jewish culture, there's no such thing as a teenager. You jump from 12 to 13, you jump from a child to a man, you now become accountable to the very law that they observe, that if you break the law, it's upon you. The parents will simply say, oh, no, that's upon you now. You've gained your manhood. It's upon you now. But anyway, if you're a teenager, what is your calling right now? Fulfill your schooling. Be a good student. Obey your parents. Duh, right? Don't be like me when I was a teenager. My parents had a difficult time with me. Okay? Don't do that. That's that's the call of life. So what is this? So... so, The hope of his calling. So what is the hope of his calling that Abraham uh, was hoping for? That good things will happen? That he will become a great nation. That the very word that God spoke to him will be fulfilled in his life. And just like what I said, it's being fulfilled right now. And God is true to his word. Amen. And uh, this one came to me while I was worshiping today. You know, in the book of Acts, it tells us that. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. You've probably heard of this verse before. So that means the calling of God does not stop when you die. It doesn't stop when you die. And I believe because, uh, because in the book of Ephesians, it says that before the foundations of the world, God has already chosen you. I mean, God already knew you. Even, though, even before you were born, God already knew you. An example of that would be David. Just in case you're wondering, oh, oh, can that be true? When when God spoke to Samuel, He told Samuel that I have, when when the king of Israel saw, uh, made a mistake, Samuel the prophet, went, uh, God uh, went up to Samuel the prophet and He told Samuel the prophet, "I have searched for myself a man after God's own heart." David will not be, and of course we know who that man is. That would be the next king of Israel, which is David. But David will not be born until 13 years later. So that tells you that the calling of God in our lives does not begin on the day we receive Christ. It did not begin on the day that we we received salvation. It began even before we were born. And Ephesians says that even before the foundation of the world, God has already chosen you. God has called you to believe in him. God has called us to know him. God has called us to live at peace with him. Come home. You know, we've been, to- we've been doing this life, uh, Christian life. That was- <laughs> what is a Christian life uh, witness, right? Christian life witness. And if you have attended that class, you probably heard it said over and over again. What is the purpose of God for us? To be at peace with him. And to live an abundant life. To have have peace with God and to have an abundant life. That is God's purpose for us. To live at peace with Him. And God has opened the doors now because of Christ. You can now come home to Him. You can now live at peace with Him. Amen. So the calling of God. So that was the first thing that Paul wanted the Ephesians church to see. Which is what is the hope of their calling. Really, to sum it up, it really means... What are the promises for us today that's really saying, know the promises of God because God will always work with you. It's, that is the only place we can run to, the promises of God. Amen? The second thing, almost uh, running out. Uh, next, uh, next verse, please. The next thing that Paul wanted the Ephesian church to see is this. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints think about that for a moment my mind do not have a capacity to really understand the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints I just, I, I, I just being honest with you I just cannot tantum how rich or what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints this passage could be read two ways It could be read in a way where when we finally go to heaven, we have an inheritance waiting for us, or it could be read that we are the very inheritance of God, because it was inheritance in the saints, because it did say in the Bible that, um, where he says, Jacob is my portion. Jacob is my inheritance. So really, we can take it in a way that we are God's inheritance. Amen? Amen. Since I began uh, in Ephesians, uh, since we're in the book of Ephesians, there's a passage in Ephesians that's so beautiful where it's, uh, if you're familiar with it, it says that we were created as God's workmanship. I began by saying that, that the call of God in our life began before the foundations of the world. But because we, we know that what happened in the garden was that we kind of lost something. And because we lost something, God began to do a work. Just like, the, just like uh, what we were singing earlier, God is working behind the scene all the time. The, my advice to you is, sit, relax, coming from uh, root, for the man will not rest until the matter is resolved. Many of us don't know how to do that. We do not know how to sit and relax and allow God to do the work. Uh, this is not the part of the, um, it's probably coming from uh, the third one. But anyway, what is the riches of glory in his inheritance in the saints? When God redeemed man, it took the entire Godhead to do the work. The universe is all of God. The earth is the Lord. You know that uh, scripture, the earth is the Lord. The, everything is, uh, belongs to the Lord. When God created everything, everything that was created could never rebel against God. They never rebelled against God. The sun and the moon, the stars, they're still in their places. They have not dropped. They have not moved an inch. But yet man has rebelled on God, uh, I don't know, the first day, second day. If, if we would only know, I don't know when man rebelled, but man has rebelled. But because in the loving kindness of God, he wants to redeem man. So when God went to work to redeem man, it took God the Father to give up Jesus. It took Jesus to redeem us by giving us his life. And then it took the Holy Spirit to regenerate us, to bring us back again to where we were supposed to be. And because of that, that work that God did ended up in something so beautiful. Okay? Uh, can you show them the next picture or the next verse? Maybe, and I'll show it to you this way. Anybody know who this is? The Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa. I think some of you have seen this. I think uh, some have been to Paris. When you see this, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Smile. What else? I can't hear. No eyebrow. <laughs> no eyebrow. Wow, wow. We're looking at the natural. <laughs> what else? Masterpiece. Relaxing. Relaxing. How about masterpiece? How about priceless? You know, this painting has no value, or they really cannot put a value in it because it's really priceless. The next painting after this. It's called the Salvador Mundi, which is priced at 460 million dollars. But, but who painted this, man, uh, this person? Le, the, Leonardo da Vinci. Yes, Leonardo da Vinci. I was hoping that that was the first thing that you guys would say. Leonardo the, Leonardo. OK? One of the Ninja Turtles. Oh, you guys watch. OK, you know the, what I'm talking about. Well when you look at this painting. We call it a masterpiece, right? But if you would really look at it, it's really just canvas, it's just oil. But what gave it such price? Uh, uh, what, what gave it its pricelessness? If that's a word, what gave it its pricelessness? The artists Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio, wrong Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci, da Vinci, da, Leonardo painted this and it has become a masterpiece. So every time you see the Mona Lisa, it's really, I believe that's the two things that will come to your mind. A masterpiece and Leonardo. It's called a masterpiece because it's really not comparable to any other painting. Like what I said, the second painting that's even close to the value of this is the Salvador Mundi, $460 But, what, uh, but But where does it point you when you see the Mona Lisa? It points you to the artist. The masterpiece always points you to the artist. Amen? Because if you would really look at it, it's just canvas. It's just oil. In the natural, it's just uh, a, black, uh, a canvas with uh, much oil. But because it brought so much, uh, but, because, but every time you look at it, you see the one that actually painted it. Next, uh, next slide, please. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, coming from the NLT, this is what it says. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew. Meaning, this is the new, new regenerated man. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. Church, the richest of the glory of his inheritance would be like this. Would be us. When we finally go to heaven... And the angels would look at us and they would see us as a masterpiece. It would bring such a praise to the glory of God because God would become Leonardo because we have become the Mona Lisa. Amen? Do you get that? Are you with me? That is the work that God did to renew us, to redeem us. God the Father had to give up Jesus. Jesus has to die on the cross. And now the Holy Spirit is still at work in us regenerating us, the the work of renewal is still going on. Like what we talked about in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is presently here, meaning the dominion of Christ is presently here, but the fullness of it is in heaven when we finally go with him in heaven. So it's the same thing, The the, the work of sanctification that the Holy Spirit is doing in us is already here, But the finished work will be in heaven. And I was telling my wife this. If the angels could be jealous, I believe the angels would be so jealous of us. Because we would be God's Mona Lisa. Because God will have his praise and all glory would go to our heavenly father and said, You have created a masterpiece. That when the angels see us in heaven, they would always go back and praise the God God of our creator. The creator. The creator. The way maker, the promise keeper, because we would, they would see a masterpiece in us. Amen? See, that's the end part. We began by the calling. That's the beginning. The end part is, the, is really when we finally get to go to heaven. And then another thing that Paul talks about is the middle part, which is, go ahead, next verse. So first he said, what is the hope of your calling? Then what is the the glory, the glorious riches. Okay, yes. <laughs> then the third one. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So three things that that Paul wanted to, the Ephesians church to see so that they can know. It says here that there's a great power that is working, that's working in us as believers. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Let me first show you before I uh, go ahead. Next slide, please. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 11. This is what it says But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead would also give life to your mortal bodies. Through His Spirit, who dwells in you. It says here that God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in us. The same Spirit is working in us, and it's working through us, and it's doing a work in us. And in this passage, it says that same Spirit gives life to your mortal bodies. That's just one of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us. But the main point that I want to show you is that the Holy Spirit is, that dwells in us is completing that work that began in us. And that's why, in, in, is it Philippians where it says that what God has began in you, he will bring it into completion. How is he going to bl- bring that into completion? Through the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's always working in us. And that's why, uh, uh, the, like what I said, the, the song earlier that we were singing, Say waymaker. It says, even though we don't see it, he is working. In church, most of the time, that is the truth. I think a lot of the times that is the truth. Many times that is the truth. God is working in us in the times when we don't really see him working. And like what I, uh, the scripture that I just said earlier, coming from Ruth chapter three verse eighteen, it says that for the man will not rest. Well, first it says daughter rest and sit for the man will not rest until this matter is resolved this day and that is a picture of how god is working in us with an exceeding great power amen with such an exceeding great power he's working in us to complete what he started in us the calling that began before the foundation of the world is a calling for everyone like what i said it may not sound like abraham Whatever it is, okay, you might not experience what Abraham experienced, but here's an encur- and, and to close, this is um, an encouragement that I want to show you, or I want to leave with you. When I was a young believer, or I think even before I became a believer, one of the things that I kind of, uh, uh, what do you call this, had a wrong idea of is that when God calls you, God will demand from you, and God will tell you to go there to do that, say this, say that, and because I didn't know, I thought, man, I cannot do that, Lord, and it, it, it kind of allowed me to step back because I didn't know, I didn't realize that when God calls you, just like how he called Abraham, he will be responsible with the Holy Spirit, with the power behind your call to provide everything that you need for the call that he called you. So if God calls you to a certain place, God will provide the protection. If you're in a place of danger, what is the hope of that? It, well, you can hope on, uh, in Psalms 91. If you're in a place of danger where God calls you, though a thousand may fall on my side and ten thousand in my right side, it shall not come near me. No harm shall befall me. Amen? Amen. If God calls you to be generous giver, and you feel like, how will I do that? I do not have, I am not a millionaire, I'm not a billionaire. Rest assured that God says that goodness and mercy shall hunt you down all the days of your life. That is the hope. Church, every hope that we have is really based on the promises of God. And this is what Paul really wants the church to see. Go ahead and we'll do a recap of the entire thing. So the three what's. This is really the three what's. What is the hope of his calling? Don't neglect. Church, if God calls you, uh, we used to say this before, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. Yes, when God called Abraham, one of the very first things he said after the call, after he said, get out of your country, I will bless you. Church, that is our God. Next what is the glory of his inheritance and I hope that we would see it that this is where our hope lies this is the finish line the beginning is before the foundation of the world but the finish line is that even angels would be so jealous of us okay that's my just that's just my opinion that's not in the Bible okay you can quote me on that (laughs) but it's just an opinion but but when we come out and we when we, we allow God and we embrace the thing that God has called us I believe that, that there's such a glory that we would bring to God, that we would be God's Mona Lisa, as I said. And lastly, what is the greatness of his power? Church, this is his backing. This is his backing to to allow you not to doubt that if I have called you for something, then I will back you up. Um, Going back to uh, the Waymaker, uh, that's why I said I really appreciate that worship today. I heard uh, the Lord. Uh, I, I heard three. Uh, the, what I heard today from God is the same thing that I heard. Uh, I think last year, I got your back. I got your back. That's what He said. I got your back, and sure, that's really is what He's saying here. That the same power that Je- that raised Jesus from the dead will be the same power that will work in you as you walk in the calling that God has for you. God is really saying, "I got your back," and all. And church, may we not miss out on this. Amen. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, thank you. And yes, Father, Lord, as your word says that your your calls, your giftings is irrevocable. You are not a man that you should repent. You are not a son of man that you should change your mind. Father, thank you. And Lord, I just pray right now for those of us. In fact, if you know that, there, if you already know the call of God in your heart, I hope that you're encouraged today to know that God is backing you up. That it's not about your strength, it's not about your ability, it's not about what you have, but it's about how God will provide for you the giftings. He will provide for you the anointing. He will provide for you. He has become for us the wisdom. Amen. Just take a moment to do business with God. I sense that there's some of you here where God is just even bringing back, bringing back reminders of what God has first, the the things that you first heard of God. The things that God has first told you. And I'm hoping right now that God is also telling you, I got your back. Father, thank you. Lord, I pray right now for us as a church. Lord, may this propel us to the next level. May it encourage us to see that what you have called us to do you have also provided the means to do it. That the same power that worked on Christ to raise him from the dead is the same power that dwells in us and is doing the work for us. It's providing the gifts for us. It's providing the ability for us. It's providing the strength in us when we are weak. And Father, I thank you Father, we receive you today. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yes.